relação. Hoje o programa tem dois convidados, que é a Anne Chloe e o Clinton Callahan. Uh, for the ones that are listening, I'm very excited because we just came uh, from uh, two trainings together and these two human beings are the most advanced trainers of possibility management and they are really these amazing archetypal wizards that create transformational places for people to tap into their authenticity, discover more about what is in the way of living a great, empowering and extraordinary life. And so these trainings uh, consist on uh, training people how to expand their beings and especially their boxes so that people get out of their own created prisons and illusions and start thinking and feeling with a complete new awareness from where we were born to believe of what we are capable of. So after being in the Expandabox training and a possibility lab with you and also a very fresh context that is a study group that Clinton is holding online is a Zoom meeting happening on Mondays from 7 to 6.30 Portuguese time. It's a free gathering and I'm very inspired to see so many people gather, sharing and helping each other. And uh, people have so many breakthroughs with uh, new distinctions and that is really a fantastic way of uh, being together and healing together. Um, also, we came from these two intense and revealing so needed trainings where we tap into our unknown possibilities about how to create extraordinary relationships, archetypal love and intimacy journeys. So hello Clinton, hello and Chloe. Hello Joanna. Hello Joanna. Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you. My first impulse is to ask you in what ways do you see people avoiding great lives avoiding being extraordinary and staying in the commodities and in the safety of their ordinary lives and why is that? Yeah, I, I'm so grateful that you're opening this space for the, also an international public that we can speak in English here and even in Portugal and this question I was I was actually being in the question this morning and there's this movie that is called Pleasantville and I really recommend for you guys to see it. It's, pretty, it's a pretty old movie. It's, it's really, it reveals our, the territory of intimacy and relationship that we live in. And in Pleasantville, they have two streets. It's Main Street and at the end of Main Street, Main Street starts again. And they just go around on this Main Street, up and down the road, and then one person at some point asks, well, what's, what's after Main Street? And everybody look at each other and think that person is crazy to even propose or imagine that there's something else than the ordinary world. And this is really where we are in terms of our ability to relate, our ability to be or, and be with is we have not been given the possibility that there's something else than our main street. And I, I think this is the main explanation that modern culture protects itself and it protects itself in putting a perimeter on the possibility of possibility, on, 
on other possibilities. And it, so in terms of relationship, we're talking about and the um, people limiting their view to what their parents have done, what's their grandparents, they've seen their grandparents relate to each other, their parents, maybe even their teacher or the, their friends when they get older or the parents of their friend, which is mainly a, a relationship that is stuck in the middle world, the middle world of logistics, of school, of work, of uh, problems, of um, marriage and, and, and all the baggage that come with it. And all of this is the middle world and it does not include, for example, to answer your question about why, why is there no more, not more possibilities in terms of relationship, is that it does not include two other worlds that we explore in possibility management, which is the underworld, which is, and the underworld is not bad. The underworld is not, it's just unconscious, is what we are not aware of. And the upper world, and the upper world is our, our potential, our, our possibility, our forces of nature that can move us in direction that we can't even imagine for ourselves. And it is so true for relationship that Let me give you an example in terms of the different worlds. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the middle world, in the ordinary modern culture of way of relating, most people create an, imi an image of what a perfect partner is, of what he should, he should be like this, she should um, be funny, she should be beautiful, he should be able to make money and provide for the family, he should be able to make me safe. So there's this list of this is what m the partner that I would want should be. And this is the middle world, is the fantasy world, really. And when, when for example, including the, the upper world, the bright world, into the possibility of relationship, then it opens this door of the universe putting us with people that we need to collaborate with and be with and create with to unfold ourselves. And this has nothing to do with a list. It is the universe creating coincidence for our intimacy to unfold. And I just want to add, for example, including the underworld. I, I was having this conversation last night. If you don't include the underworld, you, the unconsciousness in your relationship, where do you think you're going to end up? And this is the thing of being, uh, driving down the road to go on vacation or driving down the road to go to, to Christmas with your family and you think it's going to be this extraordinary, uh, feeding, nourishing time, and in the car, in the split of a second, you, you're arguing about who should drive and, and how the person who's driving should drive. And this is the underworld in a split of a second taking over because it is not consciously included in the context of relationship. So, yeah, this is a few, a few hints, a few ideas that I, I, I wanted to share. Clinton, I would, I would want to hear what would be your answer to this question about limiting the possibility of relationship. One of the strongest limitations for a person is our, our self-identity, what we imagine ourselves to be. 
<clears throat> wake up in the morning and we put on a, a kind of a full body suit of a, of a mask or an act. And the, the question is, well, which one do you put on? Most people think they have only one. And in fact, you know that that's not true because when you're talking to someone on the phone and the phone, talking to someone in person and their phone rings, then, then it's their mother or um, a policeman or their child or something. Their entire personality shifts in a matter of one second and their face changes, their voice changes, the whole, the whole speech patterns change, their posture changes. And, and then after the, talk, after the call is over, they turn off the phone and zoop, they come right back to, to being a completely different person than they were a second ago. It's the one, it's the show they put on to talk to you. And along those lines, I'd like to have a meta conversation, uh, since that's the name of the program, about, for example, in this case, what it is to be a man. Because most of our images of what a man is for, for a man comes from the movies or the magazines or our react reactivity to our parents or grandparents or teacher authority figures or political figures. And let's say, let's say we try to limit ourselves to be a man inside of the images that we're given from modern cultures, media, then we're left with being an uninitiated, neurotic, power-hungry uh, lone wolf as the idea of, of a successful man which is a neurotic and terribly limited set of options or behavior patterns for a man. And if you were to ask the women how they respond to or what, what, what is their opinion about this sort of a man, the, the many women have, have joined the, the women's liberation movement in a way that started back in the 1960s and the men's liberation movement hasn't even really started yet. So the women tend to be ahead of the men in terms of coming to the edge of modern culture and discovering that there are other possibilities, that there's a whole new script, a whole new way of being for themselves and they're escaping from the patriarchy by the thousands. Women are escaping from the patriarchy, no longer fitting into the patriarchal man's image of what a woman is supposed to be. And after she has escaped, she turns and looks behind her and goes, where are the men? Where's a man who, who's going to stand beside me and continue this adventurous journey? Where's the man? And she looks behind and she sees these uh, crippled, um, what damaged, power-hungry, com competitive um, imbeciles in a way, like uninitiated children, and, and, and has, has rage about it, or has deep sadness, such a deep sadness about the, 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 the image that a man puts on about himself and then conforms to that image. And so... The, the questions from the women right now would be really would be valuable to listen to in terms of why why do you have to be that way why does a man have to be right why does a man have to be first why does a man have to uh, take care of his car and his job title position and his his bank account as if it had something to do with being a man in relationship with uh, a partner or a woman. So 
this, this is a meta conversation that I think is really worth having, and especially in these days when the capitalist patriarchal empire is exterminating life on earth at the fastest possible rate, that there's no real reason to follow in the footsteps of our fathers and grandfathers in terms of the show that we put on, the, the, the jumpsuit we put on in terms of our personal identity as men. And there's big questions about what is possible for a man in the world if we do not follow the capitalist patriarchal empire role models that we've been given. I want to keep asking you a question about this because now you've described sort of where we are or where the men are and a little bit also where the women women are and I I would love to talk about what I my my ideas or my inspiration about uh, creating next culture womanhood next and I I, I would first want to hear what would be for the men listening but also for the women to what are the offers what how what is a man to do what is a man to do who was born and raised in a patriarchal culture to start exiting and discovering something else than main street patriarchy a lot depends on your the company that you keep what, who who are the your friends who are your buddies and if we consistently surround ourselves with people who ride very loud very fast motorcycles down the autobahn and if we don't do the same thing we're excluded from the group and so to be included in your club of the group of men that you surround yourselves with you have to get one of those very fast very loud motorcycles and envy anyone who has a bigger faster motorcycle and louder motorcycle than you have so so this is a i'm just giving this picture of what circle of men do you keep in mm -hmm. terms of and so, okay, what's a man to do? What if you consider the possibility that there are other circles of men? Well, that's a terrifying thing to consider because, because to be accepted in a group of men, regardless of what the group is up to, uh, is a, is, is a high, has a high value in terms of your own survival to step outside that group of men and you're rejected or you're alone. And this gap between one circle and another circle is treacherous in that there's no real path. It's a, it's a path of discovery and it's a path of leaving behind the known and the familiar and the comfortable and stepping over the edge out into a world that's evolving far faster than you ever realized it could. The, what's out there beyond the edge of modern culture are thousands of circles of men around the world who are investigating what what else is possible in terms of man like how can a man use his essential nothingness and the clarity of his sword to navigate spaces for example in which they can encounter a woman with a certain kind of attention such that she shifts into someone who remembers a pathway to the center of the labyrinth and then go on that journey together this is a possibility for men to hold their attention, use their sword, which is a two-sided sword. It's half towards yourself, half towards the world around you, and escape from ordinary, even, even transcend extraordinary and enter archetypal spaces of intimacy with, within your daily life as a way of negotiating the moment-to-moment -moment possibilities in your daily life. I hope... Uh, whoever's listening to this talk is not driving in a car because if you understood almost anything I said 
you're, you would forget how to drive. So be, please be careful. I'm serious. So, yes, you've, you've been talking about also middle world, underworld, upper world, and men and women, and how, what are the possibilities of um, uh, the next steps? So how can we integrate the underworld in, 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 and navigate to the upper world together? Let me answer this question by taking a little, a little detour. And for example, in terms of the archetypal feminine or the, the feminine liberating its, herself or the girl becoming a woman, moving from this girl adaptive, I need men to survive, I need to use my sexual energy to seduce and manipulate so I'm sure where the men are and I can survive. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to to carry that survival strategy women for six thousand years have been teaching their daughters to do this even with their own father so most women start developing this exchange of sexual energy seducing being pretty being sweet being cute um to survive even with their own father and then just re replacing their father with the next man and the next man and the next man and not not ever getting to be themselves. And as Clinton said, the, the women liberation movement has started. And you can see it in um, the spaces of transformation carries often more women than men. And that would be this, this hint that that movement has started. And what I've discovered is the women have discovered the possibility of something else this does not mean that they can navigate to something else. They, they see the possibility and they might be longing for the possibility and it could be that they don't know how to get there. And that seems that that's your question, you know, how do you actually get to this uh, centered, grounded bubble connected to Gaia, connected to what we call the bright principle, which are forces of nature working inside of you and, and holding uh, exactly like Clinton said, the sword at the neck of the men, so, and at your own neck, to give up, to really give up the whole adaptive sexual energy manipulation, to be yourself and to demand, to demand the men to grow up. And, and this is really where we are, or where I am in terms of the women's around me, the women around me, asking me this question, where are the men? And, and in a way, my answer is, where are the women? Where are the women who are so uh, unpredictably themselves, so uncon uncontrollable, not in, a, not in a destructive way, but in a way that embrace the whole, the whole everythingness, the whole feminine is totally unpredictable. And and um, you know, radiantly shining and mm, and powerful, and like being powerful in a space. And somehow, I think if that shows up in a woman, if that radiance shows up, then the man sees or could potentially see an invitation to do whatever it takes for them to grow up. So that would be really my offer for the woman is move there, 
try to move there into this place of you that is that is that does not obey the rule of the patriarchy or school or your parents or um, adaptiveness to men what is it who are you in that space and what I've discovered is you are an invitation for other women around you and for the men around you to grow up to move with you into that culture into that space which I would call next culture archaearchy next culture is a creative collaboration between the initiated feminine and the initiated masculine and and, and maybe it starts de depending where you are in, in your path of evolution for me it starts by realizing that somehow we have this weird idea or concept that we know how to relate we think we know how to relate because because we relate constantly it's impossible to not relate it's impossible to not be connected and we therefore we think we can we know how to relate and what if you open this possibility and the the possibility and the door that relating at an extraordinary level an archetypal level is exactly like training to be an olympic champion training to be an orchestra piano player training um to be an astronaut it is you know people mostly don't assume that they can be astronaut they know they need to have 10 years 15 years of training before they can be flown into space okay well relationship is a lot like space it takes a lot of skills to be able to fly into nothingness with another human being which we call being naked without a plan so being having your sword out being really clear about what is it you want, what is it you don't want, and at the same time being unshielded. Both those skills at the same time, it feels like flying. Okay, well, flying takes skills. Okay, what if you started over and you say, okay, maybe I don't know actually how to relate. Let me train myself. And there's a lot of experiments to do. Um, for example, one of the first experiments for, and I would say for women, and as also for men, is how do you keep your center? How well can you keep your center? Meaning, how often in the day, how many times per day do you give your authority away, your power away, your decisions away, your, create, your creation away to somebody else who will decide what you will do with your time and life and energy? Okay. Well, start noticing that and then practicing what does it feel like? What is the experience for me to have my center? And how do I show up in the world when that is the case? So that, that's one experiment. There's really thousands of experiments. I will mention the game that we are building with Clinton and I and also an, uh, other people on the team uh, like Vera Franco and, and Yule Hutzler uh, and Georg Pollitt which is the start over game and it's an offline and online personal transformation thoughtware upgrade, upgrade initiation game and there's almost 400 websites which are all linked into each other and have distinction food for your food for your path of evolution and experiments and almost each experiment is an experiment in how to relate differently 
Yeah. <clears throat> Going into that adventure uh, is uh, an act of taking responsibility for your own life in a way that we're not instructed how to do in school. The, the thing is, a human being, every single one of us, is born with a technically advanced device called a bullshit detector. It's built into our mind, or our, our five bodies, actually, and we have this capacity to, to detect bullshit. Bullshit is something that men do, which is saying things that are really, really relevant. They're just not true. And the counterpart for women is called cow shit, as you might imagine. Cow shit <laughs> is saying things that are very, very, very true. Very true. Just not relevant. And so these, so in terms of a man having a built-in bullshit detector, here's the question. Have you turned it on? Did you turn on your bullshit detector? See, the thing is, if you were sent to a public school and had to sit there for 14 years on your ass in a chair in rows and stay quiet, um, then you have had to turn your bullshit detector off or they would have expelled you from school. It's not appropriate in a school to challenge the teacher and say, yeah, excuse me, but that really smells like bullshit to me. I mean, that's not allowed in a school system. However, in, in reality, it is your flying instruments. Your, your bullshit detector detects your altitude, your latitude and longitude, your, and your, how much bullshit is there in the space. So if you, when you turn on your bullshit detector, all of a sudden you look around and the world it, it shockingly is piled higher and deeper with immense amounts of bullshit. And, and so it's a shock to turn on your bullshit detector and use it as a way of life to interact with the world but let, think about the alternative. If you keep your, your bullshit detector off, then you're with other men or even in, at work or at home and the one, one man makes a piece of bullshit Well, the other one says more bullshit on top of that and the other one builds more bullshit on top of that and pretty soon you have a hill of bullshit and then you call it a company or an organization and you fabricate a, a logo for it you know, and then you have some some advertising some songs for your for your um, the, 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 this particular smell of the bullshit that you want to uh, convince other people to buy from you as a necessity they need that in their lives and then so you have what you have is piled higher and deeper mountains of bullshit and you come home after a day of hard work shoveling bullshit onto the pile and you go, honey, I'm home. She goes, oh, did you have a great day today? And then you, you really have to lie. You really have to lie to say yes. Because piling bullshit on top of bullshit does not actually account for a great day unless you're a manure salesman. So this, this um, what happens if you turn on your bullshit detector and you start interacting with the life that you've created for yourself, you might decide, oops, so there's somehow I've gotten off track. Somehow my, my true calling in the world, I have ignored it. Somehow I have not been trained or learned how to, to make, prepare myself to jack into my archetypal lineage so I can do what I came here to do in the world. And it's, I'm just saying it's possible to do that. However, step one is turn your bullshit detector on. And this is a scary thing to do because as I said, 
there, you might discover a lot more bullshit around than you ever imagined was possible. And not don't worry about that because there's plenty of reality around that after the bullshit gets washed away, there's really something there to stand on that's extraordinary. And it's possible to stand in front of other men, to stand in front of a woman, to stand in front of children, to stand in front of time and space and energy and money and power, and to stand there with no bullshit involved and keep breathing. It's possible to do that. And a whole new future and, and possibilities open up for you when you do that. So whenever I can, whenever I'm around men in particular, I, I do whatever I can to get them to turn their bullshit detector on and help each other notice the deceptions, the lies, the falsehoods, the fakeness, the fakeness of voice, the false laughter, the stupid smile on the face, the, the, the misleading things we say to ourselves in our own mind and, and take those down, take those down and step into a world that's different from that. This, this steps into a world that has, has more clarity, less noise, and far more heartfulness and authentic relationship in it. In it. Yes, and for me, this brings me to the, um, to the experience that I have also in uh, Expand the Box and Possibility Labs that um, we get out of uh, numbness. So in getting out of numbness by myself, if I didn't have the feedback or coaching about how can I stop my smile or how can I look uh, into people's eyes and hold my fear. So this kind of uh, training and practice is so needed and I see like uh, to be in a group of people and, and having this kind of learning, a practice learning of how to lower, how to start feeling again and um, the preciousness of, of having someone like kicking my ass and saying exactly what I need to be more dangerous, to speak my feelings and this is really a practice, this is like you were saying, like uh, training for an Olympic uh, game and um, yeah and also could you also um, there are really some some in relationship so there are assumptions expectations stories that we make uh, uh, about each other can can you speak about that and how and give an example of how can you take your expectation back uh, how how can that how how that is possible and how people can start uh, having different conversations. Go ahead. What you're talking about, this would be the experience of what we, called, what we call ordinary relationship. We, we distinguish different domain of love, different domains of relationship or of intimacy. And and what you're describing is what we call it ordinary because it is what exists mostly out there. And for example, we've discovered this amazing mechanism that uh, people in relationship, and, and even in really simple, it doesn't have to be in romantic relationship, it can be with your boss, with your children, even with the cashier, you do this. You look at this person and there's this part of them that you don't know about. That is that is scary, that is you don't know what really what they are or what and to protect yourself from from the fear of not knowing, to move into this uh, 
in admitting that you don't know. Because in school, we've been taught that knowing is the highest value. If you don't know, you get a bad grade. So we have banished from our world this, this whole domain of being revealing and being in the unknown, especially in relationship. So there's, this, there's a creature in front of you that is actually unknowable, but you cannot go there because it's, it's, not, it's not allowed. And to protect yourself from the fear of not knowing and revealing that, you make an assumption about how they should be. And this it comes maybe with the list that you've made about who your perfect partner is. They, they, so it's, it's assumption that might seem really reasonable. Like, they, if I'm in relationship with somebody, they should uh, give, you know, provide touch, hold my hand, uh, maybe they should open the door for me. You know, a woman would assume that from uh, a man. Uh, they, we should share the bills. We should, it, it should be equal in terms of how much money we put in our apartment. Um, maybe a man has this, this assumption, if I'm in a relationship with a woman, well, they should have sex with me. So it sounds really a reasonable assumption and so because you're not stupid, you assume that your assumption is true. You make an assumption and then because it, you know, it sounds really reasonable, you assume that this assumption is true and it turns it into an expectation. And when you make an expectation, it becomes a pressure on this other person, which again, it's like the expectation that they will do dishes. Uh, equal, we, you know, in a relationship, we would do dishes equally, you know, every other night, or um, expecting, expecting sex, or expecting um, that the other person is happy around, or expecting that they will make you happy. That might probably is a big one. If I'm in a relationship, I expect the other person to be in a certain way so that I am happy. The thing is, if your expectation you put an expectation on somebody, if your expectation is not fulfilled, somebody breaks your expectation, what do you feel? You can check it out right now in your life. So you can think of people who you thought would be a certain way and they were not like you were expecting to do. What do you feel mostly? Probably anger. And that anger is what we call resentment. You are resentful that they did not fulfill your expectation, that they were not the way you wanted them to be. And resentment is one of the main food for this part of us that we have named the gremlin. And gremlin is our irresponsible, it's our irresponsible part, is the part is, we we're talking about the underworld, is the king or queen of our underworld that feeds on for example, resentment or manipulation or revenge. That's the, the part of you. And it, the moment you make an assumption and, turn that assumption and assume that assumption is true, turns it into an expectation and forces your partner to either be adaptive to your expectations, so not be who they are, or they break your expectation and you feel resentment. I lost what I was going to say. You are, yeah, you make your relationship a space for your gremlin. So most people are actually together to create an intimacy that is based on uh, control, manipulation, expectation, revenge, 
and resentment. And this is not bad and it's not wrong, it's just ordinary relationship. So it is possible to be with somebody, to move into the unknown, and to live without expectation. And if, if right now you, you, can, you can do this experiment of thinking about you know, anybody who you're in relationship with, so it can be your, your you know, partner, but it can also be your boss, it can even be your children. You might have expectation on your own children. And you can do this unreasonable experiment of saying, I'm going to withdraw that expectation forever. So, and you would say, I withdraw the expectation that your job is to make me happy forever. And just, and you wait to see what's going on on the other side. And you can imagine being on the receiving end and the relief that it is to have that expectation taken down. Okay, well then, then you move into, if you don't have the expectation, how are you going to relate to people? I mean, that's a big question. If, if you stop expecting that the other person is going to make you happy, well, how are you going to relate to them? Well, you don't know. The answer is you don't know. Well, great. Finally, you're, just starting, you're starting to be in a space of not knowing, and that is pure creation. And that is entering the domain of extraordinary relationship. So whoever's listening, I, I hope that you do this experiment and see what's going on for you and for the person across from them when you withdraw an expectation forever on them. Yes, and there's um, part of that process of taking the expectation back there is this step of you finding the benefit that you, you, for you creating and keeping that expectation with you. And that for me was so revealing of an aspect that I'm avoiding to be responsible of. And that made a real, uh, a real shift in my, in, in, in my world, in my stories. Because now when I'm angry at someone because I made an expectation, I go there easily because I know I'm discovering something for myself. So why? Why am I doing this? It's more being in the, in the curious and, 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 and more open part of having a conversation. So, so in this case, it's, 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 I go first. It's, like it's the, the, the power and the possibility of me going first into opening that possibility in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So going first means what kind of offer can you make to your partner? What kind of an offer can you make? If I'm sure you've been around people who every time you're around them or every time you watch them interact with somebody else, your parents, some relatives, your neighbors, maybe your colleagues at work, the, the, the interactions, the offers that they make back and forth to each other, you've seen them before. You have seen the same, maybe they've heard the same stories before, the same complaints before, this have the same expectations as before, and, and they end up exactly as they were before. They're stuck going around in a, a cyclone that sucks them down into ordinary possibilities. So this is so common as it's, it's almost impossible to speak about it because one says, well, this, there's something else. I mean, is there something else than this? Well, there is, but there is an extraordinary relationship is different from that. Extraordinary relationship emerges through ongoing nonlinear offers, on, ongoingly opening up 
nonlinear possibilities. A relationship is an ongoing act of nonlinear non creation. Can you be a source of nonlinear creation? What does that even mean? Well, for one thing, it would mean not saying the same thing you ever said before to your partner, ever. Not saying the same thing the same way that you ever said before. So, ever, make it, you make a commitment, you take a stand that the person that gets out of bed th this morning is not the same person who went to bed last night. And so, instead of saying good morning, you say, the earth has turned again. Or you say, I'm surprised that my head is still at the same end of the bed because, because I had some strange dreams last night. Or you say, gosh, I, was, I, I, was, I, I thought you were my teddy bear, but in fact, you're my lion. Or I'm, I, I wanted fruit this morning for breakfast and I realized that I'm in Portugal and the only thing they grow is potatoes. And so I'm, I'm gonna have potatoes for breakfast because I'm gonna be in alignment with reality. This would be the first, this is how you say good morning. There, there, as you could begin to imagine, there's an unlimited number of ways that you could say good morning instead of by saying good morning. When somebody says, hey, how are you? You go, fine, I'm fine. Which, as Joanna said, means I'm numb. Uh, everything has been suppressed. I don't feel anything extraordinary. Mm, life is normal and I'm dead as usual. And so that's what fine means. And, and so when somebody says, how are you? I, I say, ask me a different question. I say, I say seven plus seven is 14. And if you add one plus four, you get five, you give me five. And so when we slap hands, we do a give me five. And we have a new kind of way, a way of saying, how are you? And so on and on and on and on, you, the gremlin part of yourself, which is the one that defends ordinary, when it's initiated into adulthood, becomes an unlimited source of nonlinear possibility, always with you. So I slipped a little word in there called initiation. We have a website called initiations.org that introduces you to the idea that modern culture banished authentic adulthood initiation 6,000 years ago. And since then, We've simply drifted along, particularly the men, in uninitiated adolescence. And if you look around the world at the top leaders of governmental organizations, for example, you have a lot of evidence to realize that what I just said is true. That what we have at the top of, of political hierarchies is uninitiated adolescence, close to, close to psychopathic behavior. And this is scary. So how can you get out of that in your daily life? How can you stop playing along in that uh, structure? Well, you go sideways. This is, uh, I just wanna offer that it's possible to go sideways, meaning you don't have to do the Greta Thunberg thing of attacking and saying no to the existing structures. You can do what Buckminster Fuller said, which was that you don't create you don't change things by fighting the existing structures or game worlds, the way things are set up. You don't change things by fighting them. The way you change something is by creating new game worlds that make the old game worlds irrelevant. So the current structures all through society are already, they're already outdated. They're outmoded. They're, they've lost their validity because of the, the non-sustainability of the 
of the society that exists around the world at this point. So what's needed is new, new game worlds, new structures. <clears throat> Certain ones of you are game world builders. And if you don't build the game world that your heart knows is possible and move into it and inhabit it and show that you can live there, if you don't do that, other people will never be able to because they're not game world builders. So your job is to carry your vision out, to build out the, the social structures, the, the life that you would love to, to leave. And, and here in Portugal, you have a fabulous place. You know, people think Portugal's a desert, but once a year it rains like hell and everything's flooded and then all the water rushes out to the ocean and then it's a desert again. Well, you know, what if you actually made little ponds all over the place to capture the rainwater and you would change Portugal from a desert into a, a thousands or millions of oases that are these almost tropical oases because they have water all year round and all you have to do is change the use the flood that happens once a year to fill up ponds and build your gardens around the ponds hello this is just a new way of of organizing the water flow through the land of portugal you transform the entire environment into a paradise let's go for it <laughs> yes and what i just said yes and i guess for me it was also a great tool to keep conversation going and um, and and be in relation in another way because when we usually have conversation we keep saying like yes but and it seems like it's like already creating a no or creating resistance to what else is possible to uh, have a conversation or have another possibility so what other tools um, besides like yes and and being a yes and uh, could you give to people like uh... I want to have just a meta conversation about this whole conversation because your whole you know your whole program is called meta conversation and I think it's a fantastic doorway in it, to relate to the world in a different way I mean that's the whole point of having meta conversation is there's a way that I'm relating to the world or a people in an ordinary way and how else the meta conversation, the conversation about the conversation is how else, what else is possible. And, and, and the topic here is sort of centered on relationship and intimacy. And there's this distinction that changed my life. And the distinction is relationship do not die from a lack of love. They die from a lack of intimacy. And so you might be in a relationship that is quote unquote not working. You're trying to fix it. And, and you think it, you might relate to it as I don't love him or her anymore. The, the love is gone. And, and, and when you separate, either you feel destroyed because the other person doesn't love you anymore or you harden yourself, making yourself trying to believe to hate the other person so you stop loving them because it is just not working. And this is a very ordinary way of relating to relationship. The, the key in here is love is here. We're, we're relating, we're connected, and it's so obvious that when you gravitate around people that you love them. And, it, and it's... In the movies, I, I, 
I always really I'm shocked let's say I'm shocked and surprised and afraid and of in the movies this conversation about did you say I love you and this is such an ordinary way to relate to relationship because it is so obvious that if you already having a coffee with somebody you love them and this whole I love you it is this point where expectation can come in if you say I love you then you can put expectation on another person and, and enter this whole ordinary. So before the I love you, it's great because we are in the unknown. And after the I love you, it's shit because we <laughs> enter the ordinary. Now, if you change your, your relationship to relationship that you already love the other person and your biggest job in the relationship is to create different quality of intimacy. Interesting offers. Yeah, interesting offers. And, and one of them, like you were saying, is, is saying yes and to the offer that is offered. And also creating, like Clinton was saying, different offers, nonlinear offers to ordinary question, such as good morning or such as how are you? And it's how are you? And yes, and let's do 50 push-ups um, so we can be awakened with each other. You know, let, and, and then in the middle of the street, in the middle of the cafe, just do 50 push-ups and see, and then and wait for the next offer. Do 50 push-ups and then wait there will be a, ne a next offer. And in this, yes, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hints. Going nonlinear is, is one. Navigating into the unknown. Speaking from the unknown. S saying things that you have never said before. Um, being a yes and. And especially what I've discovered is if you are not creating something, you're not creating something new it is so hard to be in a relationship or an extraordinary relationship because you're a victim of what is happening to your life and if you're creating something such as the game world of you know meta conversation at Lusophonica then you can go around and and have this conversation would you want to be in my podcast or oh, what is your podcast well it's about meta conversation okay what is a meta conversation What's the conversation about the conversation? Okay, yes, and. And then it's a whole domain uh, different from, did you go to the beach today? You know, and this, that would be an ordinary. So the moment you yourself get initiated into what you're creating in your life and to never shut up about it. That's really the offer that I make it. If you're creating something cool, something crazy, something out of the world that could benefit other people, and you might be scared shitless to share it and for other people to think you're crazy or you're out there, go for it. Just don't shut up about it and, and, and you'll radiate this new energy and the people who have resonance with that energy and who you know, then, then echo, the, the echo is, I've mentioned this before, is the earth coincidence control office. So you can think about the, pe the person that you are surrounded by or even your partner and how did you guys meet? You can think about, so was it planned? Was it planned or was it a coincidence? Quote unquote coincidence. In my experience, it's only accident. You know, quote unquote accident or, or coincidence well, what if it is the earth coincidence control putting you together because you have something for each other. You can ignite each other, each other into a bigger fire of creation, of possibility, of love, or 
of authenticity, of community, of family, of friendship. Okay, well, how is the universe going to move you if you are frozen into an ordinary, uh, you know, ordinary conversation, ordinary life, victimhood about what's up in your life? Well, the universe cannot. It cannot move you. So move yourself, let go of baggages, you know, let go of your emotional baggage, of your story baggage, of, um, yeah, let go of your baggage so that you can enter a more fluid state so the universe can move you. And then you can, you know, that would be starting to create something and never shut up about it. And then, and then see who comes towards you and then be a yes and for them. They might be people that freaks you out. It might be people who freaks you out. Okay, well, trust the universe for those people to be around you and go talk to them and go and make, and make interesting offers and invite them into your game world, invite them into your teams. You know, Joanna, you were talking about how helpful it is to do this work in teams because we have this, what we've been talking a lot about and we haven't really named it is our survival strategy. The ordinariness come from this survival strategy that we've built when we were children and it has worked because we have survived. So it's a great survival strategy, but it stops us from other possibilities. This survival strategy in possibility management, we call it the box. Other people have other names, we just call it the box. And, and so the, you know, the hardest box to see is your own because you think, no, but I'm, I'm really like this. This is who I am. I can't, you know, I cannot do, I cannot do this or I, I, I'm not allowed to do this or this is too much or whatever. This is all the box speaking and, and, and it's, it's as familiar as your living room. Okay, when you work in a team and what I would call an evolutionary team where you're on this path of evolution together, then you can get feedback from people who are outside your box and tell you, well, this is what it looks like. Actually, this is in what you live in. And what if you went over there? You know, what if you did an experiment to move to the edge of your box and try something different? And it, it's very hard and I would say even almost impossible to do this by yourself. Because, like Clinton said, you are, you are the source, you know, the, the biggest source of bullshit that you have to contend with. And if you don't have your bullshit detector turned on, and even when you have it turned on, you think your bullshit is real. You know, you smell your own bullshit and you're just like, that smells good. That's like, <laughs> that's really great bullshit. Okay, it's still bullshit. So you need your team to tell you, hey, this is bullshit. Okay, try something else. So... In, in fine teams, there, there are teams of, uh, in, in, in Joanna will probably put uh, her website on, and there are possibility teams uh, popping up, which is the teams that we call impossibility management, possibility team popping up in Portugal, physically and online, around, around Lisbon, physically and online all over the world that you can join and, and just start this work and start this work. There's this word thoughtware, and if thoughtware is what we use to think with, when you go to school, they give you stuff to think about, facts and, and formulas and history and information like that. This is all content of your mind. Well, the, the, con, the context of your mind is established by 
your thoughtware, which is what you use to think with. And so you have to realize that before you went to school, you had to already be able to think. So where did you get your thoughtware then? Well, it's obvious then that you got it from your parents, pretty much. Okay, well then, and it's not inspected in school. Your thoughtware is allowed to exist as you enter school. It's not inspected. You don't have a class in thoughtware in school, except in next culture, but then it's unschooling, so it's not a class, just to let you know. So, so um, where did your parents get their thought? Where they got it from their parents. So this thoughtware that you are using to think with has been handed down from generation to generation for thousands of years. You are using very outdated, very old thoughtware. What can you do about it? Well, you can start to inspect it, and that's where the team comes in. It's very useful to do that. Um, it's far easier to detect other people's thoughtware than your own. It's far easier to solve other people's problems than your own. So this is why working in small teams like the possibility teams is so uh, productive and so inspiring in terms of uh, discovering what else is possible for you. One of the pieces of thoughtware that modern people tend to use as a circumstance for limiting what's, what their future could create for them is this thoughtware, this idea, this meme, it's called a meme, like uh, a gene creates the, the basic construct of your body while the memes create the basic construct of your mind. And one of the thoughtware memes that people use today in modern culture that limits what their choices is this meme that goes, I need money to live. I need money to live. And this, this people wake up in, in the middle of the night with a sweat going, oh my God, I don't, I don't have enough money to live or I might not have enough money to live. And, and, then, and then it's like, what, our full survival strategy kicks in and we make desperate decisions and sacrifice our heart, we sacrifice our soul, we sacrifice our future and we enslave ourselves to doing things that we really do not want to do. And we enslave ourselves to these with this powered by this piece of thought world. Yeah, well, I have to work at something to do to create money because I need money to live. This is such a, a, a restricting um, framework within which to live your life that it's, I think, the planet Earth, Gaia, I think it's shocked. I think it's shocked that there are, there are this, there's um, all these animals and insects and creatures alive on the planet, and they all have this complete freedom of movement, and they live all over the world. They've been living there for millions of years, millions and millions of years without money. And there's only one species that has concocted this piece of thoughtware that says, I need money to live, and then drives themselves into a neurotic breakdown and restricts themselves to, they can hardly even breathe. We can hurt our, our adrenaline level is so high during the day, forcing ourselves to do things we don't want to do because we think we need money to live. And we sacrifice our, our entire uh, creative potential and possibility and it's crashed into something like being a robot something like being a, a mindless machine going in there flipping hamburgers for a corporation who sucks the money out of through the franchise you know out of the local economy into uh, uh, another thing 
So this this entire game world is built upon uh, 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 this a uh, false this handicapping meme. Thank you, and I'm I'm also scared that people. What what else then? What what can people? What meme? How to create new memes? Memes are, the uh, memes are, are are like weeds almost. Mm, the the whole concept of a weed is that, is that, it 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 does it's not helpful. It's in the way. Um, a weed is a problem. It's not useful. At the same time, almost every vegetable and fruit that we eat was used to be a weed. I mean, think of carrots. They used to be these scrawny, tiny little bitter weeds that grew around until we worked with them and we crossbred them a little bit and they turned orange and got fat and juicy and sweet and carrots are main main vegetable in our garden so there are memes all over around us every day and when we start to work together in teams you can adapt thoughtware that you never thought you could think about before thing you can start thinking about things you never thought you didn't know how to think about before and that's the way to bring new memes alive into your daily life and then you share them with other people and you experiment with them and you're an edge worker and you're inventing new space for human beings to occupy. In, in re, the, one of the places where you can find new thoughtware is on this startover.xyz game. So you type in startover.xyz, you'll end up on a website with a bunch of uh, images that links up to website and each website has a particular meme that is upgraded. So if this is your food, if this turns you on, it is out there. The meme, the upgraded memes are already out there. And if you want new memes about relationship, then buy my book and read the book <laughs> called <laughs> Building Love That Lasts by Clinton Callahan. You can get it as a, an ebook or, or a paper book, but it's, or the Directing the Power of Conscious Feelings is full of new memes. We've been doing 40, I've been doing 45 years of research developing new memes, making them practical, putting them in books and websites and making them available for everybody on the planet nearly for free. So go for it. Yeah, go. Yes, okay, go. So thank you so much for this conversation and this meta conversation. And um, yes, I will be sharing some our websites and books so you have access to all this information and uh, where you can join also these meetings and the group uh, intelligence so we can work together on this. So thank you so much for thank being you. here, Clinton and, and Chloe. Thank you, Joanne, thank you, for Joanne. taking a stand that something else is possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you, thank you. And opening this space where people can find this information. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.